All right, good to see a full house today. We had a pretty full house last night as well. Good to see everybody. We're going to start a brand new series, and it's found, the, the title of it's found in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. It says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we're starting a new series called God with us. Now, how many of you just had this thought, Pastor Sean, you can't do that. We haven't even had Thanksgiving yet. How can you start something? How many of you guys had that thought? Anybody have that thought? A few of you guys had that thought. All right, so how many of you guys think that we ought to make some sort of law that that you can only celebrate one holiday at a time? Any of you guys think that? I just want to know who you are. And how many of you guys are the people that already have your Christmas decorations up like four weeks ago? Let me see those people. Isn't it beautiful that we can just be the body of Christ? And this is proof that the love of Christ can bond us together in unity. Because I I know some of you guys who are the one holiday at a time people, you really hate those other people. And you really have to love them. I know. I've been around you guys. My Christmas decorations are up, so you know where I'm at on that. But can we all agree that, that we're happy that the first Christmas came, at least, right? And in fact, this is not a Christmas verse so much as it is a gospel verse. I mean, God with us is simply the gospel. That's what the good news is all about. And so even though there are some people in this room that seem to be living outside of the natural times and seasons by having their Christmas decorations up, there are some people, have you noticed that there are some people who can seemingly spiritually live outside of the natural times and seasons. Let me give you an example. Like maybe we're going through a problem and it seems like they just have an enormous amount of peace. And if you look at them, you you could really in the natural say, this isn't the time for peace. Look at what you're facing, right? Like this isn't the time to have confidence. And yet, have you ever met those people who seem to be living spiritually outside of the natural times and seasons? It's like they can have peace when in the natural they shouldn't. They can have confidence when in the natural they shouldn't. They can seemingly have faith when in the natural, somehow they're able to live outside of the natural times and seasons. It's like when the world's on fire, they seemingly have peace. How? It's they, they're spiritually living outside of the natural times and seasons. When the relationships, uh, maybe there's a, a relationship going south, they seemingly can still have peace in the midst of it, living outside of the natural times and seasons. When they're facing a trial, they seem to be able to have an ability to spiritually live outside of the natural times and seasons. And so when we're starting the series talking about God with us, I want to highlight some people today who were able to do that. And it's found in Daniel chapter 3. Now, to give you a little backstory on this, in 605 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, went into the people of Israel, the people of God, and stole a bunch of stuff out of the temple. He took some of the best and some of the brightest young people, men of nobility, they called them, and they extracted them out of their homeland and brought them into Babylon. They became exiles in Babylon, and the whole point was they were trying to overtake, but they, they brought them into Babylon to re-educate them, to try to remove every vestige, every you know, symbol, every idea in their mind of their previous nation, their religion, their culture, their history, and to try to re-educate them into the ways of Babylon, which Babylon in Scripture is a type 
of what we would call the world or the world system. And so they did this and they tried to re-educate them or essentially brainwash them. And as a part of this, they changed their names even. And so we have a guy named Daniel in scripture, a book of the Bible after his name. But his name was actually changed to Belteshazzar. I don't think I said that right this service, but I, I got it right last night. And they changed his name. And then we have some guys named Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. How many of you guys have heard of these guys? All right. Yeah, these are actually, for these guys, these are actually their Babylonian names. And their original names, they, they were changed. And if you, you can do a study on that and how uh, insightful that is, what they were trying to do even with their names. And so along the way, Babylon or the king and all the whole system is trying to get them to conform to the ways essentially of the world. But along the way, they, they just refuse to do it. And everything seems to go well because it seems like the longer they refuse and the more they stand up for what's right, they just seem to get promoted. They just seem to continue to rise up into places of nobility and higher up in the kingdom. And so every time they're faced with something, it seems like they're able to live outside of the natural times and seasons. And as a result of that, they advance in some way. And that all was going well until we go to Daniel chapter 3. And in Daniel chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's built this great big tower, this image essentially of himself made out of pure gold. And he wants everyone to bow down and to worship it. It's the ultimate <laughs> it's the ultimate thing of here's pride, worship me, in Daniel chapter 3, verse 4. Let's read it. And the herald proclaimed out loud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, they had a whole worship team assembled, essentially, you are to fall down and to worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now, if you read Daniel chapter 3, you'll see this phrase that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up multiple times. It's just, it's just reiterating and reinforcing this idea that Nebuchadnezzar himself had set this up for others to worship. And it says, And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. That's a bad day, right? That's not, that's not the day you want to have. And so... So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are faced with this. You either worship this, bow down, or you're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. Now, what's interesting about this statue, let me give you just a little bit of foundation. What's interesting about this statue that Nebuchadnezzar set up. In chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And he asked all of his wise men and his magicians and all these people to not just interpret the dream for him, but to tell him the dream and interpret the dream. So he didn't even give him a head start. He said, you have to tell me the dream that I had and interpret the dream. Of course, no one could do it. And he's like, all right, since none of you can do it, I'm killing you all. And Daniel and his buddies were a part of this. And so Daniel hears about it. He's like, wait a minute, let me have a chance. You know, I want to at least have a crack at this. And so, of course, God gives Daniel the, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. And so he goes into Nebuchadnezzar and he says, here's the dream that you had. What you saw in your dream was a great statue. And at the top, it was made out of pure gold. And then the next layer, it was silver. And then the next layer was bronze. And then when it got to the legs, it was made out of iron. And then the feet was made out of an iron clay mixture. 
And then what you saw in your dream was a stone that was not cut by human hands, hurled at the statue, and it destroyed the statue and crumbled. And this stone became so large, it became like a mountain and eventually encompassed the whole earth. Is that correct? And Nebuchadnezzar says, you are correct. That's the dream. What's the interpretation? The interpretation then was that the kingdom, the, the, the pure gold represented the kingdom of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. But it wasn't going to last forever. There was going to be another kingdom that the silver represented that was going to come after. And as we look throughout history, we see the silver kingdom was the Medes and the Persians that actually became one of the biggest empires uh, in all of world history. And that it it overtook. And then after that was going to be bronze, and that was going to be another kingdom that was going to represent the kingdom of Greece that in around about 330 BC or so that, that you know, you've had Alexander the Great and the Greece kingdom that then began to take over everything. But then after that, there's going to come another kingdom made out of iron. And that represented the Roman kingdom that was represented by the legs that was eventually going to be split. They ruled with an iron fist, but then it, it eventually got divided into Eastern and Western. And then finally, Finally, we have the iron and clay, which is a mixture of the kingdoms that are to come, even leading up to the day and age in which we live. But there is a stone that is not cut by human hands, that, gets, that comes and destroys all other kingdoms, and that eventually grows like a mountain that will eventually take over the whole earth, which is represented as the kingdom of God. How many of you guys are thankful that we're not dependent upon the kingdoms of this world, but the kingdom of God is going to one day take over fully and finally over all things, right? So we have this statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw. We have the interpretation in chapter 2. And the very next thing we see in chapter 3 is Nebuchadnezzar makes a statue Similar to the dream. But you know one difference? What did he make the statue out of? He made it all out of gold. And he was trying to push back on this idea that his kingdom would one day end. And he wanted everyone to bow down and to worship it. And he was wanting everyone to worship something that would not last. How many of us are worshiping or things that have our attention that are not lasting, and yet we're propping them up as if they're going to last forever. They've become uh, at the top of our attention as if they're going to last forever. And essentially, uh, we find ourselves giving our worship to those things. And so that was the interpretation of the dream. And so Nebuchadnezzar wants everyone to bow down, but these guys will not bow down. There's basically a worship battle going on here. Because Nebuchadnezzar says, worship me, worship my ways, worship the ways of the world. And, but the problem was, these guys had already given their allegiance to another king. And because they'd given their allegiance to another king, they could not bow. It's not that they should not or wouldn't, you know, that they could not. It's they, they had already decided it was not even an option for them. And so these guys would not bow, even in the face of the fire, and Nebuchadnezzar was furious, and so he gives them one more opportunity. In verse uh, 16, they respond to it, and they say this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, and they said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We, we don't even have to discuss this. They said, If this be so, if you're going to throw us in a fiery furnace, if this is the way it goes, our God, whom we are able to serve, or whom we are serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, 
Even if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. These guys, I mean, they had enormous peace and confidence when faced with a fiery trial. How many of you guys would like some of that, right? I mean, if you're faced with something, which, which many of us are faced with things all the time, but whatever it is you're faced with, what if you could be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and seemingly having a, a spiritual ability to live outside of your natural time and season and to be able to have peace when other people say, this isn't the time for peace, but somehow you have peace. Like to be able to have confidence in the face of a fire and somebody would say, this isn't the time for confidence. Look at what you're looking at. How could you do this? Well, I'm one who has the ability to live outside of the natural times and seasons because I, I have my allegiance to something else. That's what these guys were doing. Someone might have said to Shadrach, they said, this isn't the time for that. And he would simply say, well, for me, it's Christmas all the time. God with us, God's with me all the time. So I get to celebrate Christmas all year long. I get to have peace all the time. So they had enormous peace. So let's get a deep dive into this word peace, because I think, I don't know about you, but I could use a little more of it. So let's take a look at this video. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. 
The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. All right, so that gives us a, a picture of peace. And I don't want to talk about like conflict you know, because we could talk about absence of conflict in the world or absence of conflict in our relationships, or we could talk about wholeness in the world or wholeness in our relationships. What I really want to zero in on is what's happening on the inside of us. Because whenever we're faced with a trial or a problem or a fire or a test or whatever you want to call it, really what's happening on the inside of us is there's something is at war on the inside of us. Something is incomplete on the inside of us. And somehow Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were, they were not at conflict. on the in, They had no internal conflict. They had a completeness on the inside of them. And so, because here's what happens. So many times we try to end up trying to manage our externals to try to get peace internally. How many of you guys have tried to do that, right? And so we spend so much time trying to manage the external instead of trying to cultivate the internal kingdom on the inside of us. Here's what we have to understand. There's, there's kind of a principle here that we always right-size our, we always right-size our external environment to match our internal environment, or our internal environment eventually, you know, matches our external environment if we don't watch it. So let me give you an example. This church, or any church, will always right-size to our true level of pastoral stewardship and leadership and capacity. So in other words, if we had, you know, 100,000 people show up at Journey Church next week, but we were not prepared to be able to pastor or to equip or to be able to move in some way at a, at a decent pace to be able to uh, connect those people, how many of you guys know that eventually our church would end up right-sizing back down to whatever true size we have of whatever actual leadership capacity and pastoral uh, capacity we actually had, Right? And of course, God can surprise us in that, and God can work through us and do things we cannot do. But there's a principle at work there. Let me give you a practical example. Do you know that your finances will generally always right-size back down to your true level of financial stewardship? This is why people who win the lottery many times, if they don't have an internal stewardship mechanism on the inside of them, within a, even a short matter of months or even years, even if they win an enormous amount of money, they end up right-sizing back down to their true level of stewardship in their heart, right? Your business, no matter how many customers you have tomorrow, if you don't, it will right-size back to whatever your true level of business acumen is or whatever your true capacity is, right? Does everybody follow me on this principle? Here's what I want you to understand, that peace 
will always right-size in proportion to your praise. Wherever your true worship, thanksgiving, and praise is at, your internal peace will always right-size in proportion to your praise. So right now, if you are at war on the inside, if you have little peace on the inside, I'm just suggesting that it could be because our peace has simply right-sized to where our true anchor is. Our peace is just right-sized to where our praise actually is. You know, because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't worship fear. They didn't worship success. They didn't worship culture. They didn't worship politics. They didn't even worship their own life. Because of that, they had exceptional peace in the trial because their worship was fully anchored in their true king. And because their worship was fully anchored in their true king, they had peace on the inside that matched their praise. So if you want to increase your peace, I would suggest you raise your praise. Isaiah chapter 26, 3 says this, says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And I'm not talking about clapping and singing and dancing and shouting. Do all that. That's fine. That's great. Do all those things. You should. The Bible says you should. But what I'm talking about, when I talk about praise, I'm talking about finding space or finding a place in God's presence where you truly give him the gift of your contentment, where you truly give him the gift of your reliance upon him, where you reset your allegiance to him. And I'm not talking about, like, I know I should think this way, so I'm going to really force myself to think this way, and I'm going to make everybody think that I think this way, because I know this is the way I'm supposed to think, and I'm going to try to make God think that I think. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where you get in God's presence as long as it takes so that when you get out of God's presence, that something has changed on the inside of you. I'm saying that there are some times in life when you are facing a trial or when you're facing the lack of peace on the inside of you where everything needs to be on the table, where you, have to, you do whatever it takes to stop playing and pretending where you do whatever it takes to stop talking the talk and posting things, but instead you start posting things in your heart and that those things become real in your heart that you don't even have to post them, right? I'm talking about where you get into a place where you say everything's on the table. I'm going to stay in God's presence as long as it takes till I come out with a reset allegiance and a reset praise. It means you might have to take a day off work if it's that serious to get to reset your praise. That you might have to, I mean, you might have to come on Saturday night. You might have to, it may be the case where you need to come on 9.30 service. Then you got to come on 11.15. You know, you got to do whatever it takes. You might have to come to the Tuesday night prayer meeting. You might have to, to do whatever, you know, get in a real life group, whatever it takes. You get your Bible out and you spend time. I'm just saying there's sometimes when everything needs to be on the table. You can't just keep going through the motions of life when you're just living on a thin veneer of, of saying that you trust God. That may last at this level of trial, but what is it, what's going to happen when there's a higher level of trial? 
What's going to happen when, when things really get harder than where they are right now? See, if you're barely hanging on right now, what's going to happen when there's a crisis at a different level in your life? See, you got to learn to get in. You have to reset your praise. There's sometimes when everything needs to be on the table so that you go from fire to praise. If you want to increase your peace, you have to raise your praise. The, the second thing is this. See, they had enormous peace, but they also had an enormous confidence. Do you know that when you're faced with the fire, you can have an enormous confidence? Let me tell you something that I want you to, to grasp here. Patterns increase our prophetic capacity. Let me explain what that is, but I'll just say it to let it sink in. Patterns increase our prophetic capacity. So peace always right sizes in proportion to your praise. Patterns increase our prophetic capacity. There's a lot of peace here. I'm a pastor, so I can do that. It's like a gift, right? More are coming, by the way. Let's read this again, though. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're faced with the fire. They answered and said to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't even need to answer you in this matter. This is already settled. See, I want you to see something here. This isn't even in my notes, but you pre-decide how you respond. You pre-decide before you get to the fire. You, you get into the presence of God when there's not a crisis so that you'll be strong when there is one. You get in the word of God when there's not a crisis so you'll be strong when there is one. You get around the people of God and get some friends around you. You see, sometimes if you, if you don't have what it takes, you've got to surround yourself with some people who will pick you up on the mat and carry you to Jesus. You've got to surround yourself who are going to, with people who are going to encourage you Maybe they're going to challenge you. Maybe they're going to confront your feelings or your, dis your dispositions or whatever it is. But you got to get around some people who are going to do those things in your life. And so these guys, they, they, they said, we don't even need to answer you in this matter. We've already pre-decided this. And they said, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fire, burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. They start prophesying the end. They're like, if you throw us in the fire, we have a pretty good idea as to what's going to happen. And we're going to just let you know, we're not even concerned about it, because if you throw us in there, God's going to deliver us out of our hand. So they begin to prophesy their end. But they say even further, but even if we're not right about that, we're not going to bow, because we know that God's good. God's got it all taken care of. We're, going to, we're not going to serve you anyway, right? I mean, have you guys were here a couple weeks ago when I talked about uh, the who informs the what and the way? So we all live with these simultaneous identities. I'm a husband, but I'm also a father. I'm also an American. I'm also a follower of Jesus. I'm also a pastor. I'm a son. I'm all of these things simultaneously at the same time. They're all true about me. But confusion comes when I try to live as if every one of those identities are equal, an equal weight and value. So if I live as if uh, uh, all of them are equal, then all of a sudden I get really confused as I start to try to live out because, because what kind of father am I? What kind of an American am I? What kind of all these things? And so our highest identity and our weightiest identity, which is if you are in Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. You are a follower of Jesus. You are a son or a daughter of the king. That is your highest and your weightiest identity. It should be elevated above every other identity that you have. Yes, even a husband, father, pastor, whatever those things are for you. And that highest and weightiest identity informs how you live in every other identity. 
so that the who informs what you do and the way you do it. These guys, they understood who they were, whose they are, and that informed how they were going to respond in the trial. They weren't living like everyone else. They weren't living from every other identity. They were living from their highest identity. And that informed what they did and the way that they did that. They said, we will not bow because we are, our allegiance is to a higher king than you, Nebuchadnezzar. And some of us need to get that in our heart, that our allegiance is to a higher king than any other thing in our life, any other thing that would try to exalt itself. And so they, they said, we're living by a higher king's track record than your track. You say you, this is going to happen, we, we trust a higher king. We've seen his ways. We've seen his patterns. And because they knew the patterns of God, they could start to prophesy the end from the beginning. Let me give you an example out of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. Jesus, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying, is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, well, I will come and heal him. How many of you guys think that'd be a great day, right? I mean, Jesus says, I'll come to your house and heal. But the centurion replied, he said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. Listen, listen to this. He says, for I too am a man under authority. What is he saying there? He's saying, I understand how you operate. He understood something about the patterns of Jesus, whether he heard it, whether he'd seen it, whether he'd been tracking with him on social media or whatever it was in the day. He's like, I understand how this works. I understand that you are a man under authority, that whatever you see and hear from the Father, that's what you do. And whenever you say, he says that you do it, and that whatever you say, it's also going to be done. He's like, I understand how this works. And so he says, I too am a man under authority. I've seen your pattern. And he says, I've got soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled, and he said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found su such faith. What did this guy do? All he did was say, I recognize the patterns of Jesus, and because of that, I don't even need to have him come to my house, because when he says it's done, it's done. So the centurion, he was able to live the same way, with the same disposition, the same peace, the same level of praise, the same joy, the same look on his face, on this side of that servant being healed as he was on the other side of that servant being healed. He didn't even need to see it to act the same way as if he saw it. Why? Because the patterns increased his prophetic capacity. Because he knew the patterns of Jesus. Because he knew the ways of God. He, he didn't have to wonder what was going to happen. And so because of that, he was able to walk in peace and praise on this side, the same as on that side. He had the same joy on this side as he did on that side. He had the same actions on this side as he did on that side, right? That is a person who is living outside of the natural times and seasons, but living by a spiritual clock. It's living by a spiritual, uh, a spiritual connection rather than a natural connection. And so they knew, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew the faithfulness of God. And because of that, they could predict to some degree of confidence the outcome. How many hunters do we have in the building? Any 
Hunters, just come on. You can raise it. It's, it's okay. We, we love you. So, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. I know you guys. So, all right. So let me give you an imperfect example, but just try to speak your language just a little bit to kind of help us give another way to think about patterns and the faithfulness of God. But I got to take you somewhere to do it. Let's watch. Okay. I'm out here in the deer blind. I have to kind of be kind of quiet because I hope to see some a little bit later out here in the woods a lot. Becca's with me. She creates her own ecosystem when she comes with me. Um, but I, I want to make this point that when you're in the woods and you get out into the woods and you've been there for a while, what starts to happen is you start to notice all of these patterns. So like I've been hunting here for a little while, long enough to be able to know that, that the deer kind of like this little puddle out here and they'll come out and they'll, they'll drink after a while. And so sometimes they'll come in from out there uh, in the grassy area and make their way in and it's just one of the patterns and if you go over here I know down on the other side of that creek over there that a lot of them like to bed down there from time to time they like to use this lane down here I can turn over here and in this lane that they come up right over here uh, I shot a buck last year because I, I knew one was going to come up that lane and so you just start to recognize all of the the patterns that begin to happen and so the, the patterns give you a little bit of confidence and predictability as to what's going to happen next. And so um, that's the reason why we, we get up and we go out hunting early in the morning and we go late in the evening, uh, the afternoon in the evening, because that's the pattern. That's the predictable pattern that deer like to get up and, and to move around those times. And so when you've been in the woods long enough, you can start to recognize all these patterns. You can recognize uh, the distinction between a squirrel making noise and uh, a deer making noise, which uh, those of you who are hunters, you know that can be frustrating until you start to figure that out. Well, uh, the same is true with God. The longer you've been walking with God, the longer you've been into the woods with God, so to speak, the more you can kind of recognize his patterns and you can see how God works and you you can see the paths that begin to emerge. And the longer you've been in the word of God and into the, um, you know, been around the people of God and you've heard the testimonies of what God has done and you've got some history in your own life, you can begin to recognize all these patterns that, you know, that you hear the stories, you have history, you get in the word of God, you hear all the patterns and you can start to recognize the faithfulness of God. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had been into the woods with God, so to speak. They knew that God was faithful. They knew the patterns of God. And, and it doesn't always happen that way. And sometimes God surprises you and, and that's fine. They said, you know, but even if we aren't delivered from this fiery furnace, we know we are going to stand firm and we are not going to bow because we know that God is good. We know the history. We know that God is faithful and God is good. Amen. Some patterns. How many of you guys have recognized some of those patterns before, right? I can't tell you how many times I've been in a situation and I thought, how am I going to get out of this? And then all of a sudden, the faithful hand of God has come and, and delivered me out of that. Well, I've seen that happen so many times now that whenever I'm faced with something, what happens? I'm like, I don't know how, but I know, it, I know him. I don't know how, but I know him, right? And that's the pattern, so I can begin to walk with prophetic uh, utterances. So these guys wouldn't bow. Nebuchadnezzar's furious. He says, heat up the fire seven times hotter, and he throws them in. So they end up having to go through the fire, go through the trial. But of course, we know that God is faithful in this story. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 24, 
Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose up in haste and he declared to his counselors, he said, didn't we cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered to the king, he said, true, O king. And he answered, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Anytime you see something like that, there's a pretty good chance that's an indication that that's Jesus walking around with them. So what I want you to understand, if you are going through the fire right now, can I just say very, very simply, the title of our series, God is with us in the fire. And I want you to see that they were thrown in bound, but they were walking through the trial unbound. If you're walking through a fire right now, you do not have to be bound while you're walking through it. You don't have to be bound. You can walk around unbound because there's a fourth man in the fire. God is with you. So eventually, you know, I mean, as a result of this, Nebuchadnezzar says, pull them out. <laughs> like we're trying everything and it's not working. They pull them out and watch what happens at the very end of the chapter here. He pulls them out. He says, praise be to your God. I mean, this is, this is amazing. And Daniel chapter three, verse 30, it says, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Again, every time they're faced with something, it seems like they just keep getting elevated. Now, I'm going to say, what I'm going to say next is going to be hard maybe for us to process, especially if we're in something, but I do believe it's absolutely true. And here it is. Problems position you for promotion. God may well deliver you from the trial, and you may not even have to go into it, but even if that doesn't happen, what I want you to understand is that what can happen on the inside of you can be way more of a win than anything that could happen external from you. So every single problem that you face, there is a possibility for a promotion. And it doesn't necessarily mean that if you do all this, like if I just pray just right and do all this stuff, that God's going to give me the job I want and then the relationship's going to work out. And that all these things, no, it doesn't necessarily mean all that. It very well might. But what I'm saying is that what happens in you is way more valuable than anything that could happen external from you. And that in every problem, there's an opportunity, and I say opportunity because you have to take it. There's an opportunity for a promotion. So when I was a youth pastor and I was in a church where I had to, I, I, there were some things going on that I just could not go along with. I felt like it would be a breach of my integrity to continue along that path. And I felt like I just can't go along with this. I had a decision to make. I, I could leave, but by leaving, what that would do is that would cost me Essentially, most of my adult friends, because I was in my young 20s at that time, and that's where I'd made all of my friends, and it would cost me the church family that I had been a part of since being a teenager. That would cost me my job. That would cost me a, a successful ministry. It would cost all of these things. And so there was a, a thought in there, what if I just kind of went, surely it's not, it'll change. You know, all that stuff. You have these thoughts. And then I had this thought, but what part of me dies if I do that? What part of me can I never get back if I do that? And what happened, I was faced with a problem and things didn't turn around like in a very nice, neat way. But can I tell you over the years, what's happened in me was way more valuable than had anything happened in that situation. 
Because I learned some things that I could trust God. I learned some things. All of a sudden, the problem put me in a position where I could be promoted internally, where I could walk in a new level internally, where I could have a new level of peace, joy, discernment, all of that internally. Anybody remember 2020? Just <laughs> Let me give you a little backstory from, from my perspective. I think I've shared this before, but... About five to six weeks leading up to when everything shut down in March, I had a hernia that was extremely painful. And because of the situation, without getting into too many details, there, the, we, I couldn't get the surgery done immediately. I had to wait five or six weeks because there was a mess up with a, a situation with our insurance that we had to wait until it switched over to a new thing. And so for that five or six weeks leading up to it, I was in pain. I couldn't hardly stand or sit. Like I'm always shifting around just trying to, to manage the pain. And so I was exhausted and went into hernia surgery. And then that week of kind of recovery, the very first service I came back, I wasn't preaching, Pastor Aaron was preaching. I walked like this coming into the service and I just wanted to be in church. I just, I had missed it and I just wanted to be here. I could barely be here, but I wanted to be here. And that was the last service before the shutdown. And so we went into all of that. I was already emotionally, physically, I mean, I was just wiped out and then had to immediately step into leading and pastoring and managing from that standpoint. And do you ever have those things in your life that you think, oh, I've matured. Oh, I dealt with that. You ever have those things or is it just me? I had a lot of those things. I was like, I, I thought, see, because I'll just, be, I'll just be really, really raw with you guys. When people leave the church, a church, any church, they may leave the church and stay friends with you. But let me give you a little secret. For many pastors, when they leave the church, they leave the relationship with you. And I thought I had managed how to deal with that. And to some degree, I had. But when things started to happen in so much frequency, and whenever you are going into something emotionally raw, what I found in myself was that I was frustrated. I was quick to anger. I was not mature in several areas, as I thought I had been. I had lost certain, I had to, I was defensive. I tried to control different things because I was just trying to grasp for anything in all of the chaos. And I share that with you, not because I want, I don't know, I share that just because I want to be real. I want to be, be real with you. And just to show you that that was a problem. But when I was faced with the, I, I just, at some point, several months into it, I just realized I, God can give me the grace to grow. And so in this, I found it was like, it, I wouldn't want to go back to that. Although in some ways I would because of what it did in me. And God doesn't cause all problems, but God can definitely use all situations. And I just want to be clear about that. He doesn't cause, but he can definitely use. And what he does whenever you are faced with a problem is he gives you an opportunity for a promotion, even if that's just internally. And it, even though I wouldn't necessarily want to go back to that, it was the mercy of God in my life to allow those things to be revealed. 
It was the mercy of God in my life to allow some of those things to be purged. And I, I, can, I can tell you I'm not there, but I can tell you with, with a degree of confidence that I am becoming a person that is more encouraging. I'm becoming a person who's able to release control and to, uh, to give it to God. I'm becoming a person who is less defensive, hopefully a better listener. I'm becoming that person over the last couple years. And I say that to say what happened in me was greater than even anything that could have happened externally. Because whenever you're faced with a problem and you have a promotion internally, what's it like to be able to go into the next trial when you are an inner peace factory? When there's something on the inside of you that just generates peace. What kind of ability is that? That means that no matter what I face, all of a sudden I have a promotion on the inside. See, your peace will always right size in proportion to your praise. And that when you recognize the patterns of God, it expands your prophetic capacity. And then when, no matter what, if you're faced with a problem, there's good news that you're positioned for a promotion on the inside. So worship team's gonna come back and I'm gonna do one thing before we, we get done here. Gonna, gonna do one last thing. I want to say a prophecy over us. And I, I say that kind of loosely, but I say that in a way that I want you to receive it as something that is prophetic. See, I believe that when we, that we can get to a place where we abide in God so much that nothing can shake us off of that. It's like getting an IV, a God IV, that eventually, the longer you leave that in, the more of God you get on the inside of you, the more of God you have, the less you start looking like yourself, the more you start looking like him. It's like, like when you get cut, you bleed praise. You breathe, bleed thanksgiving. Like you don't bleed complaining. You don't bleed negativity. You just bleed praise. That's what I'm talking about. You, I believe we can get to a place like that, that, that we have the disposition of God. We have the emotions of God. We have the thoughts of God. We have the peace of God. We have the heart of God. Isn't that what renewing your mind is? And so whatever God says as a command to do, it means that it's also possible to achieve. And so if he says renew your mind, that means it's possible for you to be in the process of always having new thoughts that are God thoughts having an increased amount of thoughts that are God's God thoughts. And so would you stand up with me? I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray this, and it's a scripture out of Daniel chapter three. And I want you to just kind of put yourself in a position to a posture in your heart, whatever that looks like for you. Some of you guys, I, I'm kind of this way. I kind of put my physical body in a posture to be able to receive something just as an act of faith. You don't have to do that. Whatever it is for you, maybe it's just putting your heart and your mind at a place to receive this. But if you're going through something right now, I want to just pray this over us. And I believe it's prophetic. And you can hang on to this scripture in this way. If you're going through a fire right now, here it is, Daniel chapter three, verse 27. And the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together. They saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. And so I just declare right now that even in the fire, it will not have power over you. It will not have power over these men, over these women, over these kids, these families. 
It says, the hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. I speak over these people that as we go through different trials and, and, and problems, there are no ill effects. There are no lasting effects. It says, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Lord, I speak that as we go through these things, that as we get to the end, there will be no evidence of the fire or the trial even having an effect. The only effect at the end, I just declare prophetically, will be a promotion. That there will be no smell of fire, no smell of smoke, no, no hint of sourness or negativity or problems looming over. Lord, we walk in freedom, we walk in wholeness, in completeness, and I just declare over these people that there is no conflict on the inside of their hearts, that we walk in completeness and wholeness and peace, and we right-size our praise so that we can right-size our peace. God, we are, it, we're not just happy in you when you give us what we want. We are happy in you. So Lord, we just declare that and we say we are happy in you and we are thankful that you are with us. Let's respond in praise in this last song.